And then after my homily or whoever the priest is at that time, we're going to ask you, we're going to have a seminarian like John. Is he still here? There's John. Um, lead you out of the church and you're going to go to a classroom and you're just going to talk about the readings, my homily, or maybe you have questions you just say, I'm intimidated to ask Father Brian about this. Why? Blah, blah, blah. Right? Um, the other, and here's the thing. I want to encourage you to generosity. If you're really discerning Catholicism, this is, it's a big deal. Right? This is a big deal. And we are asking you to commit to something real. That is going to happen every single Sunday until Easter at the 11 a.m. Mass. And basically, we're asking you to commit to that. We know that you might like to go to the 6 p.m. or the 8.45, or you might not be going to Mass. But it's just like a dating relationship. Right? You have the talk, and you're like, all right, I think, are you serious? Am I serious? This is the next step. Doesn't mean, again, that you're going to be Catholic, but it's that step. And I will tell you, we can't cover, you've seen, we can't cover everything in these classes Wednesday night. It's wonderful. It's one more chance to learn about what Catholicism is and to kind of dive deeper. Um, so after my homily, you leave, you go to a classroom, and it gets out the same time as Mass does. So if your significant other is at the 11 a.m. Mass, you get out at the same time. If your kids are there, you get out at the same time, and then you're kind of good to go. All right, any questions about that? BOTW, Breaking Open the Word. Have you noticed that everything's shortened these days? Everything is um, acronym. Everything. I, I, the Instapot, I cooked in my first meal in an Instant Pot tonight. And my recipe was like, open your IP. I'm like, what the hell is an IP? I was like, oh, Instant Pot. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Any, uh, any other questions? Yeah. Everybody does that. It's not just at Lourdes, yeah. They don't have to start at the same time. We've kind of decided to start that right at Advent. We think it's, you've been in RCIA a little while. It's not like right at the start, but it's, you've gotten your, you put your toe in the water. It's kind of the next step. Yep. That starts December 2nd. And then there's not honestly a lot of other things we're going to ask you to commit to. In fact, there's very few. Those are the Wednesday night and then Sundays are the two pillars of RCIA. Especially Wednesday night, but uh, a Sunday as well. And what if we have, I'm going to have to miss the first one or two because I didn't make it last Wednesday. Okay, you can't go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> she said, what if, what if I miss the first one? Is that okay? Yes, it's Okay. <clears throat> What, black? Is that better? Okay, do you want to hand it to me or are you just going to leave it over there? Oh, don't steal my wallet. Okay, it's purple. That's okay. I'm comfortable in my masculinity. 
Okay, St. Patrick is who we're going to talk about with saints tonight. Really quickly, I'm going to try and be quick. I always say that it never happens, but we'll try one more time. St. Patrick lived in the late 4th century into the early 5th. He's my patron saint. My middle name is Patrick, one of my middle names, but we're going to leave it at that. Um, St. Patrick was actually, much to my dismay, he was born in Scotland. He's actually not Irish. He's Scottish. And just a couple of things I want to talk about Patrick. Patrick, um, the, the legend is that he drove all the snakes from Ireland. That's probably a legend. Possible, yes. I doubt that actually is what happened. Okay, Mary says he did. There you go. Um, Patrick, when he was a teenager, was kidnapped by uh, pirates, literally, which is like super cool. <laughs> Not really. Kidnapped by pirates, he was taken to Ireland and sold into slavery. And he was a slave in Ireland. He escaped, and later on, he was ordained a priest. And you, there's a lot of saints like this, is that when the love of God enters their life, what, what you can't help but do when you love God is you want to share that love with others. The, the term we use in theology for this, we say the good is diffusive of self. And all that means is that whenever something's good in your life, don't you want to share it? <clears throat> right, like your favorite movie. Bev, what's your favorite movie? Uh, the Graduate. The Graduate. Have you ever told anyone else that they should watch The Graduate? Yes. Why? Because I love it. But does it help you if someone... You love Dustin Hoffman. God knows why. But if you tell someone else to watch The Graduate, do you get anything out of it? Yes. What do you get out of it? I get to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if you don't watch it with them? Yeah. Right, you get to share it. So anything good in your life, isn't this the best thing? So this is one of the things where God created us this way, is that when there's something good in your life, there's just something natural that you want to share it, right? And so Bev, despite her statement to the contrary, when someone else watches The Graduate, if you're not with them, you don't really get anything out of it, but you just want the good to spread. Isn't that true? You want the good to spread. And that's one of the, the things about how God created the world good. It's one of the ways we know that, is that we don't rejoice in evil. If you do, talk to me after class. But <clears throat> we rejoice in the good, and we want it to spread. So Patrick became a priest, and when you become a priest, and, and you don't have to be a priest for this, when you fall in love with God and you experience his goodness, you can't help but just want to share it. You might feel like, I don't really know how to explain it. One of my favorite stories, this is not going to be short about St. Patrick, sorry. <clears throat> so Curtis Martin, who's the founder of Focus, he's a friend of mine, and he talks about, and yes, I did just name drop. He, uh, Curtis always talks about when he was an undergraduate at Louisiana State, he was dating this girl, and it just didn't go well wasn't a great dating relationship, and so they broke up. And later on, his Bible study leader, he fell in love with this girl, and he started dating her, same girl. And he was so in love 
the, the Bible study leader, the Curtis began to get like, why did I, why did I break up with her? Like, why did I do that? Like, this is crazy. Like, she is perfect. What was I thinking? And the, the Bible study leader and this girl ended up getting married, and Curtis found his wonderful, perfect wife, Michael Ann. She's awesome. But the point of that story is that when you love someone, other, and when you love something, other people, it's contagious. And, and the, the Bible study leader didn't want Curtis to fall back in love with his old girlfriend. But when you love someone, you just can't help but talk about it, right? So here's my point. Patrick fell in love with God. And when you fall in love with Christ and when you see him in his glory and his truth and his beauty, you just can't help but talk about it. It's like your favorite movie. It's like a great book, right? It's like someone you just love. You just can't help but talk about it. And so Patrick, after he became a priest, he asked to be sent back to the place that he was made a slave to help them find Christ. Isn't that awesome? Like, no, no one does that. But he was just, I want to share this with him. So he did. So he went back to Ireland, and he really founded, in many ways, the Catholic Church of Ireland. And the coolest thing I want to share with you is, if you go to Ireland, which I haven't, I need to go, I don't know, here's Ireland. Um, and then England's like, you know, something like that. That's really not good. But anyway, um, so Patrick, what he did is when he was there, there's at the very western edge, there's all these little islands. They're not that big, but um, when Patrick reached the western edge of Ireland at one point, he, he set up like a place of prayer at one of, the, one of these islands. And here's the thing. Jesus, at the end of his life, he commanded the first Christians to go all the way to the ends of the earth to spread the gospel. Right? Do, do you remember what, what does the word gospel mean? Does anybody know? Don't make eye contact. Some of you know. What does gospel mean? Good news. Don't you love sharing good news? It's, it's so, when, when like someone is pregnant, it's so wonderful to share the good news. Patrick wanted to share it. So anyway, Jesus says, spread the good news and spread it all the way to the ends of the earth. Now, so that the Christians have been working for four centuries to do that. And back in that time, right, Europeans didn't know that there were all these things over here where we are in North America. They didn't know that. And so Patrick has this famous sermon where he gets on his knees and he thanks God because he believed that God had allowed him to be the one that brought the good news to the last place on earth. And I just think that's so beautiful. Yeah. So what is the connection between St. Patrick's Day and St. Patrick himself? In America, basically nothing, right? St. Patrick is judging us from heaven on St. Patrick's Day. Um, St. Patrick, most feast days, I don't know this for sure with him, most feast days are when a saint dies, and it's, we celebrate because they've entered heaven. 
Um, obviously, in the United States, St. Patrick's Day has become a great occasion for sin, right? And that's not exactly a Catholic kind of thing to celebrate. But anyway, so... <clears throat> But the, the, the feast day of a saint is usually about their death and their entrance to heaven. All right, any more questions? No? Okay. Don't make eye contact. Don't, like, scratch your head. Okay, um, I have a question for you all. I texted him, but he didn't get back to me. What did Father Brady cover last week? Okay, in the fall. Anything else? Just the fall. Great. On an FB tangent? Seriously, Nate? I see how it is. Okay. Did he talk about what original sin is? Okay. So we do need to hit that. So how do, which one do I want to hit first? Okay. Okay. Do you guys want a 10-minute break? This means yes. This means no. Okay. Three people are saying yes. Okay. So not 10, but we'll do a five-minute break. Five minute break and then we'll hit all this. Okay. See you in five minutes. Meet somebody you haven't met yet. All right, sinners. You ready? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. So, what I want to do tonight, and there's a lot I want to do, but I want to do a very high-level overview of the Bible, but we're going to talk about sin in a little bit more depth um, at one point. So we talked about the, the Genesis story. Do you remember when we talked about how most people in the world, when they hear about the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, what do they think that story is about? How God created the world. What is it really about? Why God created the world, right? Remember that? And we talked about how Genesis 1 is not about evolution. It's not about how old the earth is, right? Those are, those are really bad questions because the author of the book of Genesis, who is Moses, didn't know about modern cosmology, right? And, he, and the, the theory of evolution did not exist yet. Right? What, what, what Genesis 1 is about is not about how God created the world, it's about why God created the world. And we, we did that parallel between the days, and we talked about how it's all about communion. And it's about covenant. So here's what I want you to get from that. The Jewish and Christian understanding of the world is that God created the world good. Right? Now that... You know, seems pretty basic. You're like, gotcha. Right with the FB. By the way, you can call me FB. People call, I kind of like that. Father Brian sounds so formal. All, all the staff, they're like, what's up, FB? Um, anyway, so, <laughs> sorry. 
All right, well, here we go. So God created the world good, right? And he says that every day, right? Day one, God looks out and he sees everything he created and behold, it was good. And day two, he looks out, he saw what he created and behold, it was good. And day after day, God looks every day of creation and says, behold, it was good, right? Um, then on the last day, God sees man and woman and everything he created and behold, it was very good. That seems so basic. If you hang with me, what we're going to teach you in RCIA, everything builds on what's gone before. If you think the world is good, that's going to have consequences. A lot of people today fundamentally deny that, that the world is good. Okay, so God created the world good is the, is the Judeo-Christian story. But, so that's Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall. When I'm gonna, the way I'll write this up here is that the creation is good, but it's been broken. Now think about this. All of us have natural tendencies in life. You meet some people, and you ever meet someone who seems, and sometimes I've actually misjudged people this way. Have you ever met anyone who, like, they seem fake happy? Yes, Nate's like my wife. Um, just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, like, I've met people like that. There's a guy in the seminary, and now he's a priest, and he's a friend of mine now. But when he first met me, his name's Father Ryan O'Neill. I don't mind saying this. When you meet Father Ryan O'Neill, how many, did anybody know him? Yeah, so back me up. When you meet Father Ryan O'Neill, when, whenever I see him, he's like, Brian, how are you? It is so good to see you. And I'm like, don't touch me. <laughs> like, I don't know what, I don't know what drug you're on. Right? And I feel that way. But he's, and Father Ryan O'Neill is, he's the vocation director, so he helps men discern priesthood. And it's good because you don't want a priest who's like a priest and's like, man, life sucks. <laughs> Father Ryan is always happy. He's always upbeat. Um, and he's the kind of guy that you just feel like the world is always, always, always good. Right? But then we have people on the other end of the spectrum, and they just think the world's bad. And there are people who day-to-day -day kind of feel this way. And there are people, there are philosophers who think this, who think the world is just a tragic joke. And it's all suffering. Most of us don't think that deeply about it. We just kind of feel different ways. The Christian belief is that God created the world good, but that through sin and the sin of Adam and Eve, that the creation has been broken, but not totally. So here's the analogy I use every year for this, is that Catholics are actually, though, if, they had to if you had to choose between one of those two, Catholics are going to choose the good. Catholics believe fundamentally that God created the world good. And isn't this true? Have you ever, like, think of people. When you meet people, we all have people who kind of rub us. The, the longer you spend time with someone, 
God created every human being good. Every single one of us. And all of us have our flaws, but if you spend more and more time with someone who's hard for you, you're actually going to come around. And you're going to say, like, there's real good in this person. Um, so, the analogy I use is like your car. Catholics believe that, so if, you, if, you're, if your car alignment is off, so you'll hear me talk about this this year. I have the hottest car on earth. It's called the Subaru Outback. Yeah. It, are you with me? Best car ever. Right? Um, it's kind of a big deal. If I ever cut you off in traffic, I'm a really aggressive driver. I apologize. One of our, one of our real key volunteers, Danielle, she, um, she's like, I was driving one day, and this car just totally cut me off. And I was about to scream it, and then I was, saw it was Father Brian with like three other priests. <laughs> and it really was. So I'm an aggressive driver. I love my car. It's a great car. If your alignment's off in your car, right, what happens is you try to drive straight and your car pulls in one direction. And what you have to do to keep your car driving straight is you kind of have to fight it a little bit. You have to keep it straight. Now, if, if I had to ask you, let's say the alignment's off in my Subaru, and if I asked you, okay, my alignment's off, so now is my Subaru, is it good or is it bad? What would you say? Yeah, it's good, it just needs an adjustment. That's what the Catholic Church believes about the world. And it's what it believes about you. And sometimes for, for many of us, the hardest thing to believe that about is ourselves. A lot of us don't believe that we're really good. But a dogma of the Catholic Church is that God created you objectively good. What happened with sin, when sin enters the world, it's just like having your alignment off in your car. It's a really good car. It's just something's off, and it's pulling you off course. And so what we, happen, what we believe happened with Adam and Eve's sin is that we call it original sin, and it's kind of not the most helpful title sometimes. But here's the thing. We believe everyone has original sin. So Deacon Daryl and his lovely wife, Mary, they have grandkids. So Jackson and Micah, um, Caleb, and then I'm trying to blank right now. Where are Steve's kids? Okay, so we're just going to stick with Steve's kids. Or I'm sorry, with, uh, with Jordan and Katie's. So Jordan and Katie's kids, right, they're amazing. Like on Sunday at 845, they come up to get the book. If you've ever been to that mass, we have a children's liturgy, and I give a book to the kids, and they go off. And Jackson and Micah come up every Sunday, and they are like perfect, right? They have like the perfect hair, like, and they're just like these gorgeous kids. Mary has like trained them to dress perfectly, and every Sunday they come up and they're like walk up and everybody else leaves and the two of them wave at their grandpa, Daryl, and they just stand at the front and they just wave at him and it melts the whole congregation's heart. The Catholic Church believes that those two children are sinners. <laughs> right? And it's true. 
we believe that those two children have original sin. Right? That was good. Why do we believe that? How can you say that, right? If, if, if you're Catholic or if you're thinking about this, that sounds crazy. How can Jackson and Micah have sin? And here's what, here's what we do with this. Here's how we understand this. Original sin, this is why we baptize babies, by the way. When we baptize babies, we believe that the blood of Christ washes away original sin. Freeze them from that. Some of the effects still remain. We'll get to that in a second. But what does that mean? Original sin does not actually mean that Jackson and Micah did something wrong. There's some great stories. We'll have Deacon Daryl or Mary come tell some of those sometimes. sometime. <clears throat> but original sin does not mean actual sin. And that's where this gets confusing. We believe every person has original sin. A newborn baby, though, and you're like, how can a newborn baby have sin, right? A newborn baby can't choose anything yet, right? So when when you're a new mom or a dad and your, your newborn child poops its diaper, you don't look at him or her and say, you did this intentionally. You little, you know what, Right? You don't say that because they, they didn't choose that. And sin is about the things we choose. So here's what we mean. What Basically what we mean is something's wrong. And it's not wrong sometimes. It's not wrong most of the time. Something's wrong with every single one of us. Every single one of us. And we all know it. And so what happened with the original sin is you have three powers of your soul. You could slice the pie a little differently, but this is one way to do it. In your soul, you have an intellect. You have a will. And you have passions. You have those three things in your soul. So your intellect is how you know things, right? Which is actually an incredibly mysterious thing. Neuroscientists and philosophers and and others, what it means to know things in philosophy, this is called epistemology. It's really complex. If you really study hard and you try to learn how does someone know something, seems like an easy question. It's a really hard question. But anyway, you, you have that ability. You have the ability to know things. Your will, what does your will do? Chooses, right? Yeah, so we should just write these out. To know. Your will is to choose. And your passions, what are your passions? Okay. Yes, it's a slightly different term. I think, I'm guessing you're using it the way that the modern world uses it. Well, I'm passionate about this, and it's related, but it's not quite the same. It's related to your desires, close again. So that's probably the closest, if you want to really simplify things. Your passions are kind of your desires. But all it means, <clears throat> traditionally, is that it means a way that your soul is 
affected outside of the things it chooses. So fear is a passion. Right? When you're afraid, you didn't choose to be afraid, except if you're really one of those weird people that I don't like. We don't usually choose to be scared. But it's, something that, that, it's something that moves us. We are moved by it. Or um, d- sexual desire is a passion, or f- hunger is a desire or a passion. Um, anger is a passion. They're things that we didn't necessarily choose, but they're things that like just move us. We say, oh my gosh, I feel this way. Here's what original sin did. <clears throat> it did three things. It darkened your intellect. And so what the Catholic Church believes is that our minds still work. But not actually as much as they should. That, that when, we, when we sinned against God, there was a consequence to this. When Adam and Eve fell, and what happened is this affected everyone afterwards. Every single one of us. And this is what original, original sin means. We were born into a condition. That's what we, original sin does not mean a child did something wrong. It means they were born into a condition. So it's, it's very much like if a child is born with cancer, did that child do something wrong? No, of course not. Of course that child did not do something wrong. But they were born into a condition where something's wrong. That's what original sin is. So we were born into a world where our minds aren't quite as clear as they should be. Our will became weakened. Now, this is an easy one, but I'll come back to this in one second. And then our desires became disordered. And again, our will was weakened, but was it weakened completely? No. You can still choose things, you can still have freedom. Were our desires disordered? Yes. But were they totally disordered? No. So here's, here's how I'm going to prove this to you. So my, a friend of mine, I was, whenever like, things are great, I'm like, here's a story about me. Whenever we talk about sin, I'm like, here's one of my friends. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Father Peter Musset is a good friend of mine. He's a wonderful priest up in Boulder. Um, a lot of fun. Father Peter has a great story that he tells about this. And Father Peter tells a story where one night he was home in his rectory and he was really excited and he said, I'm going to watch one of my favorite movies. I think it was Kill Bill. He loves that, which I think is sick. But he loves that movie. I know. Amen, Warren. Um, but he throws on a movie. What? I know. It's not good. Disordered desires. Right? So Father Peter, though, he's going to sit down and watch a movie, and he knows in his cupboard he has a 24-pack of double-stuff Oreos. So Father Peter's sitting there, you know, it's probably Friday night, and he's like, you know what? I deserve a double-stuff Oreo. I was a good priest this week. I worked hard. I did the things I was supposed to do. I deserve a double stuff. Now, is there anything wrong with wanting a double stuff Oreo? No. 
<laughs> that was, whoever said that, that was awesome. Absolutely not. Right. But here's the thing. So Peter goes and he gets the double stuff Oreos. And he's like, I, I get two. I get two double stuff Oreos. But we, you know where this is going. Half an hour later, he's had 12 Oreos. Right? And by the end of the night, he had polished off the entire carton of 24 not regular Oreos, double stuff Oreos. And just think about this for a minute. Father Peter wanted, in his mind, he said, I'm just going to have two. And we've all had this experience, haven't we, where we say, and food's an easy one, we could come up with darker examples. But all of us, there's, there's moments where we want, we, we have a good desire, but we can't seem to choose it. Has anybody ever had that? Yeah, 30% of us. That's good. <laughs> yeah, we've all had that in us, right? You go to your job and you say, you know what, there's that person who's kind of annoying, but I really need to love them. I need to be nice to them. I need to reach out to them. But you don't, right? <clears throat> and like, I'm like driving and I'm like, I should be a nicer driver. And then I'm like, I will cut off Danielle Rudolph. You know, I don't care. And then I pull my collar and I'm like, you know. <laughs> this is all of us. We all have this experience. This is a universal thing where we struggle to choose the things we know that we should. Whether it's good or it's bad. I mean, well, it's always good that we want to choose. Disordered desires. Most of our desires are good. But when we, when we fell on heavy, if you've ever prayed in your own life about what's going on in your life, I, I'm sure you have wrestled with this. We all have things and we say, why do I want that? Something's wrong. Here, a, a very easy example in my life is like <clears throat> when my brother priests, when someone comes up to me and they say, oh my gosh, you know, Father Sam is just an incredible preacher. Or like, Father Brian, Father Brady gave the best RCAA class ever last week. What should my reaction be? Praise God, the kingdom of God is spreading and my brothers are thriving. What do you think my reaction is? You know what it is, right? There's something disordered, right? I'm like, uh, I could have done it better, <laughs> right? We all have that. So this is what original sin is. And here's something really deep about this I want to share with you that St. Augustine says about this. And, and one last thing on this, well, second to last, this is funny and we can all relate to it, but it's also serious. Something's wrong with the world. And not just with Hitler or Stalin or whoever else. Something's wrong with you. And something's wrong with me. And if you can't see that, if everything's perfect in your life, right? If, if you're just perfect and everything's fine and I'm great, 
you'll never be a Christian because you'll never need Jesus because you're perfect. The first step, Dante sees the first step of the Christian life as one of just admitting that you're not perfect and that you actually need help. And I know for me, like, I'm, I'm a train wreck. And I mean that. People laugh at that, but I'm a train wreck. And I, and I need help. And all three of these things are very much at work in my life. Okay, here's what Augustine says. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, right, God is the highest being that exists. Man is not the lowest being that exists, but he's much lower than God. And what he says is that, <clears throat> what does Satan say to Eve when, she, when, when the serpent offers Eve the fruit of the tree? What, is, what does the serpent say to Eve? Okay, he paints a picture where God's keeping things from you, that's true. What else? Okay, good. The serpent says to Eve, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. And St. Augustine says, if you want to know what human life's about, inside each of us, that's what we really want is I don't want to be a creature, I want to be God. And what that means, let me flush that out just a little bit, what that means is that I don't want to be under anyone. Right, I'm not, I don't want to listen to God, I don't want to admit that I'm lower than anything. The Catechism of the Catholic Church quotes Augustine on this, and it says that, the sin of Adam and Eve wasn't that they wanted to know the difference between good and evil, because it couldn't have been sin otherwise. If you didn't know something's wrong, it can't be a sin. It's not that they wanted to know the difference, it's they wanted to determine what was right and what was wrong. That's profound. Most of the things we're going to get to down the road about where the Catholic Church has controversial teachings, a lot of what it comes down to is a modern society, but it's not just modern, it's every one of us in all of history, I don't want to be told what to do, and I don't want to be told what's right and what's wrong, and what's good and what's evil. I will determine what is good and what is evil. So man wants to be God. And what Adam and Eve did in original sin is they made themselves God. Now the irony, and I could spend all night on this, the irony is if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Satan promises Adam and Eve they will be like God. And the truth is, they already were. Right? Remember that? We talked about God creates everything. He says, let us make this after its kind, after its kind, after its kind. And in Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make man after our image and our likeness. 
Yeah, Katie. Um, we're about to get there, yeah. And let me, I'll make a reminder, because there's a catechism paragraph that explains this well. Um, it's the only one I know the number for. Okay, so anyway, so man wants to be God. Don't you hate it when someone tells you what to do? You're all looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The hell you don't. Yes, you do. You hate it when someone tells you what to do. So do I. Because I want to be God. I don't want to tell other people what to do. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. Right? I, I, you can tell the bishop. He knows this. I hate it when the bishop says, Brian, you will do this. I'm like, who do you think you are? Oh, you're the bishop. Right? I want to be God. So Augustine says, because man tried to be being the lower thing, rebelled against the higher being, the consequence of original sin is that the lower power in our souls rebels against the higher two. And if you think about that, I don't know if there's anything that describes my life better. I know, and here's, here's what we all do. Whenever we make decisions in life, um, we all pretend that what's happening in our life is, and we know that this is how it's supposed to work. Your intellect is supposed to lead. Your intellect tells you what's true. And you say, this is the truth. Your will chooses that. And then your desires and your passions follow. So yesterday we had a midterm, right? And the Republicans and the Democrats, when you talk to anybody else, what they say is they say, well, why are you a Republican or why are you a Democrat? And you're like, and your argument is, well, my intellect saw the truth and I chose that because it's the truth and that's why I'm passionate about it. Sometimes that's true. A lot of times it's not. What happens so oftentimes, our passions want to run the show. So what happens for a lot of our life, not everything, but a lot of times, is that what really happened is I hate this person from the other party. Guess where that falls? Right here. This person ticks me off. And so my passion wants to run the show, and my intellect and my will are used as weapons in obedience to my passions. This is deep stuff, but like, I, we'll go th we go through thousands of examples, but our, our lusts, our hatreds, our angers, our pride, and not all the time, I'm not saying that everyone is always operating this way. In fact, a lot of the time we're really not. But we have that temptation, don't we? When lust is an easy one for guys, when, when men are lusting after a woman and they, they want to, I don't know, pursue a woman outside of marriage and they want to enter into sexual activity with her outside of marriage, 
and you try to talk them out of it, they will argue to the death that they're in the right. But you know it's here. <laughs> you know it. We all know it. Like, whatever. She's attractive, yeah. No, the seven deadly sins are because they give birth to other sins. So, um, so like, anger isn't really that, you know, there are worse things than anger, but anger is a deadly sin because it gives birth to things like hatred and murder. So it's, it's a little bit different. So I, I think that is so profound. So, so much of what Christ is going to do and what the Christian life is about is it's actually helping us. Our passions are not bad, by the way. They're actually good. But they're not supposed to run the show. Right? And we, I think we, political discourse is an easy way to see this right now. People just get so angry and so worked up, and that controls the way they think and the way they act. And that's backwards. And that's part of original sin. But it's not just politics. It's so many things in our life. Part of the Christian life, and this is why, well, I don't even want to say it, but part of the Christian life is learning and it's the grace of God that helps us to put these things back in order. Okay, let's pause. Questions? Thoughts? Complaints? Rebuttals? Yeah. Moderate, right? Your passions are good. In fact, Augustine says that holiness is actually something that helps us to desire, um, to fulfill our desires. So our desires are almost always good. In fact, some theologians and philosophers would say our desires are always good. We just, but they tend to just get twisted. Just like the double stuffs, right? Double stuff cookies are really good but probably not 24 of them at once, right? Sex is really, really good. In fact, the Catholic Church thinks, we'll get there, we think that sexuality is actually holy. It's just that we want it sometimes in the wrong ways, and it becomes disordered. All right, anybody else? Yeah, Nate. Good. Good question. Okay. I, gosh, good question. So why was original sin part of God's plan? Well, here, there's a double answer to that. There's probably about 100 answers to this. Yes. Don't give the right answer. You steal my thunder. <laughs> yeah, God wanted us to choose. So, so here's what we would say. Sin is never part of God's plan. Right? Evil, evil is never part of God's plan. But God takes risks. So the story I always tell in RCIA about this is, I think I actually already did that one. <clears throat> but... Love can't be love without choice, without freedom. 
right? And so God actually, what he wants us to do, right? The, the example I always use is like, if someone, if, if you had the person of your dreams who fell in love with you, and you would just be so elated. But if, if you found out that they were forced into that somehow, you would be devastated. Because if love isn't free, it isn't love. And so sin, right, God allows the possibility of sin. Because if you get rid of freedom, you would save a lot of heartache, right? You would save the, the horrible evils of this world. God could control all of us and say, that person's never going to treat you that way again, and there's never going to be a Hitler, and there's never going to be a genocide, and there's never going to be abortion, and there's never going to be this and that. And we would all say, finally. And heaven will be that way. But God wants us to love him freely. And so to, to have a chance to love, the reason love means so much is because you could have chosen otherwise. My friend Caitlin, I was in Fort Collins two nights ago, and her and her husband, Cole, are like two of my closest friends. And you guys like this. They actually told me, this is like my arrogant hat going on, but it's her fault. But she was like, she's trying to win the lottery because she, she told me, she's like, I've had a lucky year. I keep winning everything. So I've decided I'm going to start playing the lottery. And she was like, if I win like a mega jackpot and I get like tens of millions of dollars, she told me, she's like, I'm going to offer the archbishop $2 million for the church if they move you to Fort Collins. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I, mean, I don't know. I was like, I think my people would be upset. I don't know. But anyway, so what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I am such an arrogant jerk. Love has to be free. So that's, that's, that's really what it comes down to is that sin's not a part of God's plan, but there are, but God wants us to love. And for us to be able to love, there had to be the chance to not love. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a different type of life. No, there is love in heaven. Love, heaven's the fullness of love. But in heaven, we will see God in his fullness. And so uh, our will will be finally kind of settled. It's almost like, how would I describe this? There's a period like when you're a teenager, you're like, I'm not sure if I should pursue drugs. It seems like I'm like, and you need that. There's a place where you go through a period of like choosing the good. But now when you're an adult, you're like, yeah, you know, crack just doesn't appeal to me anymore. Right? I mean, it did for a while. I mean, come on. We've all been there. But now it doesn't. And, and now I wouldn't say I'm less free. I'm actually in a sense more free because something that's evil doesn't, and I was never tempted to crack, in case you didn't. <laughs> but would you, anyway, I'm going to stop. <laughs> so, there's more freedom in heaven than there was here, but there's this period where we go through where there's this choice. Um, and in heaven, we'll actually have the fullness of love. Okay, let's keep moving, and we'll, because I want, I want to, we've, I, this all should have been done like two weeks ago. And I want to get to where we should go. Okay, so the world is good if you're a Christian, but it's broken. Your alignment's off. But here's, here's what Christians believe. God doesn't leave the world that way. There's a response. God allows us to have consequences. Right? G.K. Chesterton says, 
<clears throat> if you like gambling, which I'm, I'm not a gambler, or if you play cards or something, if you played cards and there were no consequences, let's say sports. Here's a better example. That's closer to home. I love sports. A lot of parents out there um, in sports leagues, this was, I don't know if this is still happening. I think so, though. There was a movement to say we should stop keeping score in sports. Have parents, has anybody seen that? Yeah. And it doesn't work because the kids all keep score anyways, right? But there's, there's this attempt to take away consequences. And what G.K. Chesterton says is if you take away consequences, you might take away hurt feelings and sadness, but you also take away sport. The whole thing that makes sports so exciting is there's a chance you might lose, but you can't win. You can't have a chance of winning if you don't have a chance of losing. And so God, he's a gambler. So he wants us to take these chances. So the world's broken, but God's going to fix it. And this, here's a big question. Did you ever wonder why God, why did God choose Israel? Every year I say this. Don't you ever wonder, like, God chose the nation of Israel. Why not Canada? Right? Like, there's hockey. Maple Leaf's pretty cool. Like, Canada. Right? Do you ever wonder why there's this one nation? Is it, has anybody ever wondered that? Okay. You, here's what's going to happen in our CIA. You're going to respond, or I'm going to pull it out of your dead bodies. Right? <laughs> Okay, you gotta, you got to let me know you're with me, you're engaged. Okay, the reason God chooses Israel, and here's the thing, did, did you, didn't you ever wonder why didn't God appear to everyone? Right? If it were us, what we usually think is, it's so weird that, why does Judaism and Christianity believe this is like one nation? That's weird. Doesn't God love everyone? Doesn't he love the Canadians and the Peruvians and the Chinese? Right? Doesn't he love the Kenyans? Like, why did he choose one country? And here's the thing. This is at the heart of the Christian and Judaic vision of the world. Is that God chose Abraham, was right Abe for short, and the Jews, the Jews are the children of Abraham, for the sake of everyone. Israel was never chosen for its own sake. And when you study the Bible, you learn this. God never chose the Jews to be like, hey, you guys are pretty cool. You know, like, I don't know what you would even say about them. Like, this is pretty awesome. God says explicitly over and over and over in the Bible, I am choosing you to be my instrument for everyone else. So from day one, God's plan from day one was that the whole world would find him through the Jews. Okay. So if you go through Genesis, the brokenness, the, the sin happens in Genesis 3. Does anybody know when Abraham appears? In the Genesis story, what chapter? 
Come on, all my evangelicals, where you at? Nope, not nine. That's still part of the Noah story. It's in Genesis 12. And here, here's the key. In Genesis, and here's what I want to get to tonight. Genesis 11, right before that, is the Tower of Babel. And, and what happens in the Tower of Babel is that, and there's so much we could spend time on on that, but just very briefly, uh, Babel is an attempt. It's really a rebellion against God. But Babel tries to be universal. It tries to set up this kingdom that's for everyone in rebellion against God. And if I were God, right, what I would do is I would just go down and I would, I don't know, flex my muscles and like everyone would like just believe in me and it would be done. What God does is he works through people. My guess is that you're here tonight. If you're new here, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Catholic, or maybe you're a Catholic, you're here for some reason. And it's probably because of a person. God works through people. So instead of just fixing all of our problems, he works through Abraham. And so Abraham, and we're going to come back to this, and I'm going to hammer this into your heads. God gives Abraham three promises. The first promise, and I'm just going to run through this instead of torturing you. He says, I will make of you a great nation. Uh, Let's erase everyone for a minute. He says, I will make of you a great nation. The second promise is, I will make of you a kingdom. And the third promise, and this is Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is he says, I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. So universal blessing. Okay, here's what I want you to see tonight. Do you see the connection there? Babel, and and this is still in our own day, we all want unity. Right, like in our country right now, there's all this rhetoric about we're so divided. And we all want unity. We wish we all kind of had a deeper sense of unity in our country right now. We don't. And there's globalism. And we say, wow, can't we just see that there's one human race and can we all come together? There's a sense in humanity that we want unity. The problem is we oftentimes want it without God. And so here's, we're not going to get to all this tonight, obviously, but God's plan to rescue the entire world goes through the Jews. And if we go back to Genesis 2 with the brokenness, 
Sin is universal. It touches every single one of us. And here's, we're going to get to this with time. This, this like lights up my heart. This is why I'm a priest. I will say that about a hundred times in RCIA. You'll see that. Like every week I'm like, this is why I'm a priest. And the next week I'm like, this is why I'm a priest. And you're like, well, which is it? And I'm like, I choose all. But universal blessing, this is what gets me out of bed in the morning. God did not choose me for him and I to have a relationship. He chose me so that I might bless you. And he chose you so that you might bless others. And God wants to bless the entire world. Everyone, without exception. There's a Greek word for that. Some of you know it. There's a Greek word we use for that that we use all the time. And he, this is, we're going to play Read My Mind. What's, it, what, what's the Greek word for universal? Way to go. The Greek word for our church is Catholic. That's the first name that was given by the early Christians to the church. And we're going to talk, we're going to talk a lot about this. But the whole idea is that God, the, the, the covenant with Abraham with the Jews, the relationship, the family, was never meant to end there, Ever. The sin that God encountered in Adam and Eve, God had a plan from the start, and the plan was always going to be to bless the entire world. And that's why our church, the, the, the word Catholic means universal. Okay, there's two more things I want to do tonight, but I'm not going to do them because I want to give you guys time if you want Q&A. We're going to, next time, what we're going to do is we're going to hit this in more depth. And then what it's going to lead to is to understand who Jesus is. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he die? Why did he wait till he was 33 to die? Why did he rise from the dead? We're going to talk about all that stuff. So, Ben. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean I I would just say there are different contexts like so the question is about in, in, in First Corinthians, there's a very particular question about whether or not Christians can eat meat that was offered at a pagan sacrifice. So we don't have this today, right? In the ancient world though, when you when you worshiped lots of false gods and idols, an an idol party, you would worship a false god and you had a barbecue. And the Christian question in 1 Corinthians, one of them is, they've got a really great barbecue. <laughs> like, I don't believe, you know, in Poseidon, but like, man, is the fish good. And the question is, can I eat that meat? And Ben, I'm not sure I'm going to follow this totally, so correct me if I'm missing something. But what Paul's saying is, there's only one God and everything's good. And so he's actually saying you're not, you're not determining whether this is good or bad. There's actually good theology that just says there's one God. And as long as you're not scandalizing anybody, and 1 Corinthians, I know this is like 
not all of you are here yet, but 1 Corinthians is like, I saw Deacon Daryl at the Mormon church. I worry about this. Not about you. But I always want to go to Flatirons. Have any of you been to Flatirons? Yeah. So Flatirons is this huge Protestant church. And I always just want to go to see what it's like. I'm like, it'd be fun. But I don't go because I'm like, first of all, if I go on my collar, all the Protestant Christians are going to be like, who is this guy? And like, does he, is he like picking a fight? Like, does he want to talk about the Bible? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't want to, I just want to see what it's like. But then if I go without my collar and someone who's a Catholic recognizes me, they're like, oh my gosh, I saw Father Brian at a Protestant church incognito and like, what is going on? So that's First Corinthians. First Corinthians is, I saw Deacon Daryl at a grill, a barbecue for Poseidon. Has he left the Christian faith? And, and Paul is saying, you shouldn't go to the barbecue because you might cause other people to like be scandalized. But there's nothing wrong with fish. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. All right, other questions? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the tendency. So it's the state. Original sin is the state. It's, it's, it's your car is being pulled in the wrong direction. So it's, it's a state where my intellect, my um, will, and my passions, they're still good, but they're not what they fully should be. Mm-hmm. No. The church teaches that baptism leaves the effects of that but it also places grace in your soul that helps you to overcome them. So I still have all three of those, right? Like, I'm not, my intellect is not as clear as it should be. I still, believe me, I still have disordered desires. Like, you get me in traffic, it's her fault. Um, but I'm becoming more, like, like my passions want to run the show, and my, and my will is not strong enough. It just isn't. But, I'm, but, but, but God's grace helps me overcome those things. It does. Um, it removes all actual sin. So if I've actually done something wrong, not just my tendencies, right? So the fact that I have a tendency towards lust isn't a sin, properly speaking, Right? You're, God doesn't hold you responsible. What I always tell people, God doesn't hold you responsible for things you couldn't choose. God's not a tyrant. Don't drink my beer. But like, right, the, the joke I always make is like, your dog doesn't have freedom the same way that we do. Your dog does have freedom, but not in the same way. Your dog doesn't know right from wrong and like deliberate and have a conscience and really think about it. Your dog's scared that you're going to hit him when you come home because he peed on your rug. So you don't, you know, you don't come home and say, you know, and grab your dog by the collar and say, you pooped on purpose. You sinner. Right? You don't do that because, some of you do, but that's disordered, and you shouldn't do that. Sin's only about choice. I, what was the, I don't know how I got on this. Sin's only about choice. You can only sin if you choose something. So baptism wipes out a... Um, 
actual sin, so forgives actual sin, and helps us overcome original sin. Okay, we'll come back to me later. Did you want to go? If you have original Baptist church, weren't raised in the church, and you said, mm-hmm. get baptized No, we don't baptize again. So Jesus, and we'll, when we get to the sacraments, we'll talk about why this is. But this is crazy, so stay tuned. We'll answer this. Jesus essentially teaches in the New Testament that baptism is necessary for salvation. And I know what you're thinking. Does that mean everyone who's baptized, who's not baptized, is in hell? No, and we'll get to that. But the, the Christ's commandment towards baptism is so strong that the church recognizes it at the absolute bare minimum. If there's water and there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we recognize it. There's a, if, if you were baptized in a Mormon congregation, that's one we don't recognize, but that's only because Mormons have such a radically different understanding of who God is than Christians do. Right? They'll say the creator, the redeemer, and the sanctifier, which sounds similar to what we say, and it is similar to what we say. But they, they have a radically different understanding of who God is than Christians do. But on the, if you were baptized Presbyterian or Methodist or Evangelical or non-denominational or Baptist or whatever, you will not be rebaptized. Those are valid. We totally recognize those. Okay. Yep. It's related to baptism. So confession is not a form of baptism, but it's related. <clears throat> and again, when we get to sacraments, we'll talk about all these, but, but basically, like, the, the, the earliest Christians, the analogy they use for baptism is they say that they talk about the flood of Noah. And they say the, the world, there's a lot of problems, and they say the ark, Noah's ark is like the church, is what they say. And they say when you got on the ark, it's like baptism. You were washed clean and you're saved. And they say confessions after you've gotten on the, on the boat, but you've made some pretty big mistakes, they say that confession is like a life raft that brings you back to the boat. So it's related, but it's not the same thing. It's for after you've been baptized, yeah. Um. Yeah, very good. Yeah, there is a hierarchy of loyalty. Great analogy. I use it in marriage prep a lot, but it actually comes from a theologian who uses it about exactly what you're asking. So is there, so in today's world, individualism, we have all these different loyalties, and, and come back at me if I don't get this right. But is there a hierarchy? How do we reconcile, like, this universal thing to, like, other loyalties we have? And so Balthazar, who I talk about all the time at Mass, Balthazar says this, he compares it to a symphony, and I love this. Is he says, the world's cultures, right? Here's the caricature. The caricature in the world right now is that it's not fair to bring Christianity to non-Western cultures, because if you go to an Asian culture, for instance, and you go to Korea, and you try to make them Christians, well, Christianity is a Western thing, 
and we're robbing them of everything that makes them Koreans, and isn't that kind of not good? And here's what Balthazar says. Balthazar says that truth belongs to everyone, and that's why it's, it's universal. But what he says is like a symphony. So if you go to a symphony, I've used this analogy. This is the third time today. This is awesome. Um, if you go to a symphony and you show up on time, the musicians warm up. So you have like the pianist plays Beethoven and the cellist is warming up and he's playing Bach. The violinist is playing Mozart. And what Balthazar says is that's like world cultures. And those three composers are three of the greatest composers in the history of the world. But they're different. They're not playing the same thing. They're playing different melodies. And Balthazar says that world history is a lot like that. There's a lot of real great, tremendous beauty in South America and in Africa and Asia and North America, whatever. All over the place you find great, beautiful things, but there's, they're disparate. And how do you, so how does a symphony start? I asked my engaged couple of this, couples of this, and they, they usually get it right. How does a symphony start? The conductor, right? And so what the Catholic belief is, is that Christ, his entrance into the world was the conductor stepping to the podium. And here's the cool thing. Here's what this, I love the way this goes. What Balthazar says is that in great music, because the caricature is like, if you're going to be Catholic, you have to say goodbye to your culture. And if it's not your culture, some of you might think this, if I'm going to be Catholic, everything that made me me has to die. It's not true. When a conductor steps on stage, the different parts of the orchestra, they don't play the same things. And, and this is from a book called Truth is Symphonic, which I love that title. And Balthazar's point is that in any great composer, there's dramatic tension to a symphony, always. So the, the violinist does not play the same thing that the oboe plays which does not play the same thing that the piano plays, which does not play the same thing that the brass section, or on and on. There's a tension, and that actually, when you enter into the symphony, you become more yourself. But there, and of course there are boundaries to that, the conductor holds those dramatic tensions into a dynamic unity which I think is profoundly beautiful. And, and I do, and that's, and the, the early church, that's one of the things they emphasize when they talk about this. They don't know about symphonies yet, but they, what they say is they say, this is no longer something that just belonged to one nation. They say this, this is the truth in Christ that belongs to everyone. Does that answer it? Maybe one more. One last question. Anybody? Okay. Next week, um, so think about this. Next week, what we're going to talk about, what, we're, what I'm setting you up for is to actually understand Jesus' life. If you don't understand this, it's very hard to understand the life of Christ. And last analogy for the night, I'll let you go. 
and I'll use this again next time, I'm sure. If you walked in to the last scene of Lord of the Rings, or you're watching Lord of the Rings, it's right at the end, and your roommate walks in, and they say, why are they wrestling for that ring? Like, oh my gosh, what the heck? What's going on? Like, who's that guy? He looks kind of creepy, and why is there this volcano? You would say, this is the third movie. I hate you. <laughs> and you would say, go watch the first two, and then you'll understand, right? You have to know the backstory. What most Christians do is exactly that, is they read the end of the story, which is Christ, but they, they never read the, near, the whole story that led to the high point. So that's what we're going to do next week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, bless us all this week. Fill us with joy and peace. Lord, I ask that everyone here, that you would speak to their heart, that as they face the rest of their week ahead of them, uh, that they would be uh, just filled with that joy, that they would know they're loved, uh, that they would know they belong to you and that they belong to the truth. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, thanks everybody. See you next week.